0: This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between.
1: This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You're back again for another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I just want to tell you, I thank you for uh, subscribing, listening, downloading. It's it's cool to be back in the studio. Um, I'm here with Patrick Edwards and we're glad to be here. Hello, Patrick. Hey, how's it going? It is it is good to be back and
0: been a busy summer already. I know you've been on the road quite a bit doing trade shows and yeah, it's it's been a wild past three or four weeks for us for sure today we want to talk a little bit about our alaska trip coming up because that's going to be here before we know it
1: yeah we postponed uh 1.0 we'll call it due to the the global economic situation of whatever the the pandemic or whatever we we had going on but now that i obviously traveled to africa and back and you know knock on wood i'm i'm here i'm alive we're good so yeah let's uh let's get into it alaska 101 i guess Measuring expectations, right? What? Why are you going? You can't just say same thing with Africa. Hey, I'm going hunting in Africa, and you can't just pull the trigger on that next week and really have a good trip. I mean, and the the quote I like to to recite sometimes is disappointment is the misalignment between expectations and reality, right? So you know, if you're if we're going to Alaska expecting to to break the world record, we're we're sorely going to be disappointed. I mean, we're going to be lucky if king season is open, right? And so, if you structure your whole trip, or we structure this whole trip to where it's just surrounded around king fishing on the Kenai River, that that very quickly could uh, could kind of sideline the trip, right? So, managing expectations for any trip, I think, is is a good idea. Um, this trip, we've you and I have talked and. I think you want to target some species that are a little bit lesser known, I would say. I mean, they're not less known species, but they're not people's target species when they're thinking Alaska. So what's top of your list to catch while we're up there? Well, fish in general, (laughs) but no, it's,
0: I think you do have to have a realistic expectation of what you want to accomplish. Plus you only have a certain amount of time, you know? And so you have to plan in, I've got this many days, I've got this amount of sunshine, which is a lot this time of year, but you also have to think about getting sleep because fishing does take a toll on you, whether you're on a boat or in a river or whatever you may be doing. But some of the things I want to catch that people might be a little surprised about, one is a northern pike. I'd like to catch one in Alaska. They are considered a nuisance fish. They don't want them there. So I think it'd be fun to catch some northern pike while I'm up there, but I've caught silvers and I've caught reds but I have yet to catch a king so it would be fun to catch a king so that would be great and of course the other species of salmon that I have yet to catch like the pink and of course the what they call the dog salmon so um it would be cool to get all those done I know that's a huge list but I'd also like to we talked about you know going after some halibut and some rockfish and stuff like that so that's what I want to catch but in general I just want to catch fish
1: yeah I, and I think uh I'm I'm good with that list and we, we got some spots and, you know, having lived there, I have a little bit on the ground insider knowledge, having obviously the family connections, we get some uh, pretty good benefits of not having to rent a car, not having to rent the hotel. So, you know, you need to start planning your trip ahead and, and what expectations and what species are you chasing? I'd like to see some, some char, Arctic char, some Dolly Varden, some Grayling, mm-hmm. but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a high lakes river stream one day and then we'll maybe do two days of King. We're going to go do a day of halibut. And then we're going to focus on those Northerns at least, at least probably a morning and an evening on different days. Right. And there's some cool ponds. So we're going to take some non-motorized boats and go out into some places that are a little less known and but they, they, they got some uh, the fish the northerns in the smaller lakes just don't get that big right we could go out on Ski Lake and spend the whole week and i know there's some guys up there that you know they they fish the hard water and they kill some big fish in those bigger bodies of water but we're gonna go have fun and do it our way and i think it'll be be a blast going over those various species the tackle and the equipment that you're going to use for halibut is dramatically different than what you're going to use for King is dramatically different than what you're using for Northern. I mean, just from the boats (laughs) to the leader, to the line, to the hooks, right? So, you know, we're going to have to be on point. But you mentioned something right at the beginning, and I've done this a couple of times. The cheap flights to Alaska is the red-eye flight. You're pulling into Anchorage at midnight or 1 a.m., right? And then you fly out of Anchorage at 1 a.m. or 11 p.m. So... That's all fine and dandy. It's usually bright and sunny, but if when you start off your trip sleep deprived and then you start fishing, uh, you, we call it fish wars because it just, you know, you, you hit the ground running and you don't really stop. And all of a sudden it's time to load up your fish boxes full of fish and fly home. And you're like, where'd, where'd my seven day trip go? We just <laughs> got here. So yeah, it's the logistics of
0: it's important. Like you said, you don't want to be burnt But but when you show up, because then it just kind of puts you behind and on the trip and it can take away some of the enjoyment of the trip. So you want to make sure that you have.
1: So we paid a little more for flights, but we're rolling in at about, I think our flight gets in at 6 p.m. We'll be down to our house at 9.30 p.m. Maybe do a quick shopping trip, get some groceries, line out, have have some dinner, go to bed by 1130 midnight, right? Instead of rolling into Anchorage at midnight, driving out getting home at 3 a.m. And I did this a couple years ago, is pulled in at 330 a.m., did this, did that. And I was like, okay, let's go get our fishing licenses and go, It's, it's light now, let's go fishing, right? Your brain's, let's go fishing. Well, you just didn't get any sleep. It's now the middle of the night and you're gonna go fish. So by doing it this way, we're gonna kind of force ourselves to no fishing, you know, the, on the drive in, get there, it's late enough, go to bed, try and get some sleep, and then we'll get out on the river first thing in the morning. And if, if I was giving advice to somebody else planning a trip, I'd really plan on targeting a species or two. And then once you get those two, then just go free fish and enjoy. But trying to say, okay, I'm going to go catch this seven species on this trip. You can, and I'm not going to tell you not, but we're taking a kid on this trip right we're taking my boy and so we're going to try and have we have some different facets to manage of you know you and i can't just take off on a 27 hour fishing adventure and not sleep and <laughs> right it's we, we got to make sure we at least have some peanut butter jelly sandwiches and the car is close because it's it's going to rain so you you definitely i mean we we got some pretty sweet rain gear so why don't you talk about that a little bit
0: yeah we got some new striker rain gear and I've had to use it a couple of times already, once on Boyson when it was like 35 degrees and raining. That was not pleasant, but it did keep me dry. And then uh, just recently up at Keyhole Reservoir, we had some nasty um, thunderstorms, but the gear is really good. I mean, it's going to keep us nice and dry. It's high quality. So if you're looking for some good rain gear, I would recommend that Striker Brands outfit. It works really well.
1: And the the rain on the Kenai especially, we're, we're going end of July, first part of August, right? It's going to be warm. We're, we're not going to see 30 degrees and, and spitting snow. And you're, you don't get those big afternoon sun showers that we get here in the West that we're used to. No, it's just kind of wake up and it's just kind of a, it's either a nice clear bluebird day or it's just going to be gray, drizzle. misty drizzle all day. So it's, I mean, and the brush is wet and you're in the water and the fish are splashing you. So having the, the right gear, to start off with. <laughs> I want to tell a story. I've probably told it on here before. Well, we went fishing in uh catch a long time ago. And one of my dad's friends had a pretty brand new pair of the Gore-Tex waders instead of the neoprene waders that I was used to. Well, he was worried about tearing them. So he took a pair of blue jean bib overalls and put over those and then waded out there to go fishing just to keep from poking holes in his new Gore-Tex. And this is Patrick 25 years ago, right? Maybe 30, but the two guys saw him standing out there fishing and they they looked at each other and looked at him and they waded out there just rolled their pants up and stood right next to him and they're both looking over their shoulders and looking at him and kept fishing and finally not very long they turned around and waited back out looking at that guy and i still get a chuckle to this day because he's out there dry as a bone and here they are i mean the water was cold it's it's yeah. all glacial fed water it's not warm water
0: And that's something we're going to have to take into account too is, and you should on any trip that you're going on is what's the weather going to do? What kind of clothing should you have? Because it could be really cold. And I told a similar story. I remember fishing the Kenai for the first time and watching a guy try to wait out there in shorts you can't handle it. Like I could barely handle it in neoprene waders. I was freezing. Like it was very cold water.
1: I get tired of releasing foul hooked fish in the water and having to put my hands in the water because yeah. it's the water hurts to put your hands in. Glacial water is something else, man. <laughs> and it's moving too. And I mean you- That is one thing, safety on that river, especially. Every year somebody drowns, right? They there's lots of boats, lots of partying, lots of whatever, and guys think, Oh, I can swim. That river is 100, 150 yards across, and it's moving. Like it's, and it's cold enough that without a life jacket, especially like you slip and fall and slightly bump your head, no life jacket fall in that river. Yeah, you're going out the ocean and they might recover your body. So, life jackets, you know, I don't want to harp safety all day long, but, you know, even Flaming Gorge or Keyhole when the wind picks up, you could, you know, there there was a boat, what it's been a few years ago, but I went down with a guy to Flaming Gorge. And the, the dive boat was still out there searching. They found the guy's boat just floating right there out there in the middle of the... And there was still some ice on the water. And they still, to this day, don't know what happened. I never heard if they recovered him. But guy went out fishing on his own and never came back. That That's happened more often, right? We we have personal experience with that. Of yeah. So definitely, you know, we're obviously going to go as a team. But leaving a itinerary of where you went, where you're going, when you're coming back and you know especially nowadays they've got those quick inflatable self you don't have to wear a big water ski life jacket now when we're shore fishing I, i'm i'm not going to be wearing a life jacket patrick i don't no, thank you I, don't. I can pull you in yeah i'll <laughs> be, be, all be right. fine now we hop out in the boat yeah that's just, different just
0: put your jacket on yeah especially in that cold water i mean it it'll it'll make your limbs numb a lot faster than you think, especially in glacial water. But yeah, the equipment's going to be a big deal as far as just being comfortable and making sure that we're ready for the weather. You talked about tackle considerations. That's going to be widely varied. You know, I mean, pike are obviously a lot different than your halibut and the salmon, you know, have their own setup as you well know from living up there. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of different kinds of fishing too, you know, different types, whether it be jigging, casting, retrieving, you know, it, it could be a lot of different things. So that's another important consideration is making sure that you're ready for whatever style of fishing that you're going for. And then understanding like local knowledge, is that actually going to work? You yeah. know, cause like we could go to a pond and want to fish for pike, but, It may be so overgrown with stuff that we can't fish it at all. And so those are things you have to think about or making sure that you have the right strength of line
1: for those salmon because they will break you off. I mean, they are incredibly powerful. And there's definitely two different styles. You can land a king salmon on the same poundage that a sockeye will break. But if you're in the powerboat and you're just kind of using the boat to fight the fish, right? That's a whole different style of fishing than if you're combat fishing shoulder to shoulder and you're trying to just basically winch that fish in, right? Yeah, you're, stop not, him. <laughs> you're, you're not. You're not going to make any friends on that river if you show up with an underweight fly rod and and hook any kind of fish and want to play it and fight it yeah. like you would don't do that. No, I, especially next to me. I, I might accidentally cut your line if you're <laughs> the first one you might get away with. Right. And I've, I've seen it when somebody foul hooks a fish, you know, everybody reels in and kind of lets them and definitely just say there's 20 people standing on, on a bank of a hole, but there's, you know, 50 yards downstream, there's nobody else. If you're, if you've got a fish, that's going to take a little extra work, just, just say foul hook, you know, those 20 people should reel up. You walk down, get out of everybody's way. And then the people above you can go back to fishing. Right. Yeah. So there's, a, there is definitely a strategy to not foul hooking as many sock guys and, you know, pay attention to those local knowledge, local holes, but, uh, too le- too short, a leader, too heavy a weight. You'll foul hook a bunch too long, a leader, too light a weight. You'll foul hook a bunch, right? Having that, that Goldilocks zone of, and, too short would be kind of 20 inches and under too long would kind of be 40 inches and over you get into the 60 inch leaders you're you're just too long because the way those sockeye are moving up the river they move in a school almost like an eel one continuous organic mass swimming up and so they're three and four and five abreast swimming past you and so while your weight might be going through the mouth of one your hooks going through the mouth of another well if you get too long a leader uh, the first fish might hit and pull that weight and you might pull a little bit while that hook's going over a tail or a dorsal fin or an adipose fin on two fish further away, and that's how you're getting those snags. So
0: Yeah, I remember landing multiple sockeye with, you know, I call them jewelry in their back. You know, they had dorsal, they've been dorsal hooked or tail hooked by other fishermen and broke them off. Luckily, I didn't have any foul hooked fish. I was using about a 30-inch leader. It's like 28 or 30 inches, something like that but i saw it happen to a lot of guys there was a couple of guys to my left one day that, i mean it was happening over and over and over again and they couldn't control the fish and they were making everybody mad because they were trying to bring tangled.
1: trying to bring an eight to ten pound sockeye in backwards not fun they, they, they got a lot of power man <laughs> and they got a lot of drive to go the other way you get yeah. a
0: bath every time so i told people it's like hooking onto a freight train going the opposite direction i mean yeah. it they're, they're powerful. You don't realize it until you hook your first one, and then it's like,
1: whoa, where did that come from? So spinning reel or bait casting reel, either one's fine, but you obviously need to line size appropriate. Um, we're talking kind of 20-pound test stuff. You can definitely, for the King stuff, we'll step up to 30 mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, you're talking Les Anderson's fish hit the scales at 98, but he drove around for a couple hours. They Their speculation was 101 or one o 104 or something like that but there's like i talked about when you're when you're stationary on the bank hooking a fish like a soccer that's very very acrobatic and very energetic versus if you're in a boat and you hook a king i'm not saying they're not energetic or fight but the the kings want to go to the middle of the river to the bottom of the hole and sit there and then usually just go downstream away from you and so if you just kind of follow them with the boat and put moderate pressure on them you don't have that elastic jerking that you get with a sockeye when you're standing on a bank where you really, I got five people below me and five people above me. I'm not going to move anywhere quickly. So I do like the fly rods, but I'm running a nine weight fly rod when I go. Right. And yeah,
0: it's not your five weight for up in the mountains.
1: And that's a great point is when we go do some of the, we get up there and do some Arctic char dolly varden grayling yeah take your your medium to light action weight take your five six weight fly rod perfect awesome especially because we're going to go up a couple of streams that are 20 feet wide and 10 feet deep in the middle maybe right so mm-hmm. you don't need a whole lot of rod and reel and there's nobody there's going to be nobody around so i can fight a fish and, and let them play when we go hit the the main river for kind of the meat fishery it's definitely a little different tackling game and then when we get in the boat Uh, The one thing I wouldn't take, I mean, my two cents is if you want to do halibut and that's the whole reason I'm going to Alaska, Patrick is halibut, but the charter boats are going to have rods and reels and lines and hooks and leaders. And you're just kind of a passenger at that point. And so trying to take that tackle doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: And I would also say like, if you're toying with the idea of a spinning rod or a bait casting rod. Just my experience and my two cents is that drag systems on spinning reels aren't meant for the power that you're going to be dealing with. And so you can get away with it for a while. But if you catch a lot of (laughs) a lot of sockeyes that way, they're going to destroy the drag system in that spinning reel. So when I went up, I took a a bait casting reel. The thing about it is it has a better system, better drag system. You can put a lot more stopping power on a fish and not have it destroy that system. So, that would just be my only piece of advice is for me, that's what I'm going to do. I uh, spinning reels fine, but you're on borrowed time.
1: So, I we we have both up there and I own both now. And like when I'm taking somebody brand new to the sport, I like to stick them on the uh spinning reel just because. The bail system's a little easier. The the tangles are a little easier to manage if you haven't used the other style reel, right? But pretty quickly we, uh, after we get them a couple fish under their belt and get them used to that, it's like here now you need to start practicing with this reel and upgrade to this because, I remember my wife hooked hooked a pretty good king from the bank and uh, she was yelling at me that the drag wasn't tight on her on her you know bait casting reel and I'm like I set it to where you know sockeye couldn't take hardly any drag and so i mean you grab it and you pull and you can barely Mm. pull any line and so i grabbed it and tightened it to where i couldn't pull line and that king still stripped her almost all the way to (laughs) her backing and finally come it it actually didn't come off it straightened the uh the the double lot hook she was using so it's a big fish
0: yeah, king salmon
1: are a whole nother ball game, right? So definitely want to, I mean, line, we, you don't need to upsize from sockeye, but hooks, you definitely need to upsize from from what you're using for
0: sockeye. And if you're using crankbaits that don't have a wire system built through the body, they're going to get destroyed. Yes. I, I mean, they'll break them in half. I've seen some pretty cool pictures of people that have had their crankbaits bitten in half. And so, you know, that's, that's a lot of power. But yeah, I th- I think that all those things make a lot of sense. But one of the things we should talk about too is PK lures. You know, they sponsor the podcast. They do have some great options when you're talking about silvers. When you're talking about king salmon, um, you know, their their flutter fish, especially the bigger ones, tend to really tick off cohos. Uh, those silver salmon. So that's a good option to, to have and and to take if you're going to go on an Alaska trip. I have seen pictures from guys over the years that have taken those flutterfish out, you know, into the ocean and vertically jigged in like 40 feet of water, you know, as those cohos are coming in. And they just have an absolute blast on those things. I mean, they are a fish catching machine.
1: Well, we will definitely uh, put some uh, PK lures through their paces and we'll be there. there. There's another thing to talk about is timing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're gonna pick that species, there's there are steelhead in Alaska and there's some big ones, but you wanna have already gone if you're gonna go for steelhead. Right? And if you wanna go for silvers, you really wanna go for silvers, that uh, last week of August, that first week of September is you know, they're they're getting almost post spawn, but they're really aggressive and if the if the run's a week late you hit the peak of the run i'd rather go when you look at run timings and you got to look at specific rivers you can't just look at the whole state right of -hmm. where you're going i would rather err on the side of i'm going to go seven days past the peak of the run because if they're late then you can't show up at the peak of the run if they're on time there's still plenty of fish but if you try and come you know like the, the week they're supposed to show up and they're a week late, there could be no fish and you, you could struggle to catch a fish. And that's crazy because, I mean, you go from no sockeye in that river to some years, almost a million sockeye go up that river in three, four, five weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fish. Yep. Yeah. And if you do, I was going to say, if you do want
0: to go and get some of those PK flutterfish, you are going to want to look at that one ounce. The guys that I've seen have done really well. I mean, they're using like the fire tiger or the fire tiger glow. And then also those nickel gold and copper colors. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I I haven't done this up there in the rivers, but the guys that have done it, what they'll do is they'll throw it out there and let it kind of sink and then rip it and let it sink. And that seems to trigger fish pretty well. So if you want to do that, you can go to pklure.com. If you use PK Pro at checkout, you get 15% off. So
1: go check those out. There you go. You can get a couple PK lures to fish your local reservoir. Keep them, keep them in your hat for uh, when you're going to go up on a big Alaska trip. But they work for Lakers too. So if you live down here in Wyoming around the gorge or
0: you know Jackson Lake, I mean, they, they're very dual purpose in that, in that regard. And pike like them and tiger muskies in fact one of my first tiger muskies i caught was on one of those so
1: well i can attest that the the colors that i found worked the best whether it was spinning glows jigs whatever you know kind of a a fire tiger glow orange something with some red and orange in it Mm -hmm. or silver or either gold or copper those colors for whatever reason you know and you can mix and match them the the fire orange glow seems to be Get something with some orange on it or get something with some silver on it and there's nothing wrong with copper or a gold color. The, for whatever reason, you know, it's, it's it cracks me up every year. You know, I'll, I'll sometimes go put a clinic on, you know, flossing reds on the, on the river, right? And you'll hear somebody, five or six people up from you. What color yarn's that guy using? Oh, he's got orange on, or he's got yellow on. <laughs> you got a yellow yarn? <laughs> it doesn't matter what color the yarn is. I'm sorry, guys, and you can scream at your mic all day long. Those fish, especially the sockeye, aren't eating. They're not attacking it. You are flossing. You're, you're threading it through their mouth, and you look nine times, yeah. 10 times, they're hooked on the far side, and the hook comes from the outside and goes in, right? Or he'll be hooked on the near side and the hook goes from the inside out. But silvers are completely different. They will, they're territorial, they're aggressive. I don't know if they're feeding or not, but I mean, any kind of spinner or a dollop of eggs. And yeah, that's, and the other thing to think about on silvers specifically, they school up and, and move up the river a little differently I can't 100% prove this, but my hunch is I think they start to pair up, male and female, pretty early in the ocean or in the river, and those two fish kind of migrate the whole way up together. And what I've found is I'll catch a, pretty close to Tidewater, I'll catch a fresh, bright chrome silver. If you can get get whatever lure you're using, get it back out there close, you can pick up a second fish, and usually it's a buck and a hen, right? That other fish is kind of milling around right there waiting. Where'd my buddy go? Let's come on. Right. And I don't know if there's a school of 15 or if it's just two, but I've noticed wh- I can go two, three, four, five hours, not catching a fish. Bam. I'll hit a silver, get, get that fish landed on the stringer and get right back out in that spot. And in two or three casts, pick up another fish. That's Awesome. Yeah, see these are all good things to know like if you're going to Alaska
0: you know like certain species are predatory certain species aren't right or you know the the style is just so different and you bring up a good point like if they are paired up and you do that cuz browns in the river you can Sim, do something similar like when they're paired up what you can do is you can cast out you can catch a male then maybe cast back out and catch the female from that same area. I've done that multiple times so it's kind of the same concept but I mean you do fish for these different species very differently. they can be salmon but be very different. Oh yeah I mean and a lot of guys you know you've you've done this and you've seen it for kings they're using globs of eggs or they're using big cranks, stuff like that in the river. Well, you're not going to use that for sockeye. It just doesn't make any sense to do that. And what we would do for halibut
1: with bait is
0: going to be completely
1: different. You're going to take a pound of weight, a pound weight, sometimes a pound, and a quarter, sometimes half a pound, depending on what the tide's doing in the flow. But yeah, we're going to take huge circle hooks and, you know, a, a softball size chunk of bait and drop it down there. And you like your vertical jigging, but every time you, you let down, you want to feel that weight touch the bottom and then barely pick up. And if you're picking it up 12 feet, you're not going to catch big halibut. You'll catch little halibut. You'll catch more fish if you're if you're doing a, a real aggressive jig. If you're not jigging, you're going to catch catch skates all day long because a big skate will come hover over it and sit on it. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I thought I had the world's biggest halibut on. The tide started ripping. I fought a, a fish for about 20 minutes. I mean, my forearms were burning. My quads are burning. We're talking it was bending over a halibut rod, right? And those things are broomsticks. We got it in and it was over four by four square skate, you know, and, it was, and their mouth is in the middle of their body. So they can turn their whole body, and you're basically pulling in a piece of plywood sideways. <laughs> go out, go out the, in the water and put a put a hole through the middle of a piece of plywood. Sink it to the bottom and try to reel it in. It was all I could do, and I was, I was so excited. I'm like, I got a 150 pound halibut here. Right, the way it started fighting towards the end, we figured out what it was. But yeah, what we're gonna do for halibut is we'll the halibut's gonna be interesting. We have a, access to a small private boat. The big charter boats don't really care. They just run you out. I mean, you get in a 55- or 70-foot halibut boat, they don't wind, waves, water, who cares? Let's go catch halibut and come back. We're, we're going to be going in a, a slightly smaller, okay, significantly smaller boat. It'll <laughs> uh, hold three people, but, you know, as long as the weather's good and you you keep your wits about you, yeah, we'll run out there and, and we can run five times faster than that big boat so we can go to some places that you couldn't steam you know in the in the big boat but again we're not taking 50 people we're taking yeah three so one of the things
0: just to kind of recap and go through your gear is important you know making sure that you have the right gear for what you're fishing for to keep your body comfortable while you're doing it
1: spool new line just spend the money yep. and put new line new on line your reels. and
0: sharp hooks yeah very important if you have dull hooks you're gonna be very disappointed, lots and lots and lots. Um, the other thing too, uh, logistics wise, again, make sure you have a plan for, you know, your, your flights, your ground transportation, you know, ground transportation is super expensive at the moment. if you're talking about fuel, so that's something to consider too, is your budget. Um, and then, you know, wherever you're going, always check your regulations, make sure that you're within The scope of what you should be, um, you know, with the local game and fish department, fishing game, whatever it is, Um, make sure that you understand that you understand the rules, read them because ignorance is not an excuse up there.
1: And if you're going to the Kenai River specifically, there's like 20 zones and 20 different sets of regulations, depending on where you're at on that river and the time of year and then they have you know emergency openers and closures so there's there's a lot of homework to be done and so going with somebody who's either done it or asking lots of questions or getting a guide for you know some of the other rivers in that state are here's the season here's the bag limit and it's open from the mouth of the river to the to the headwaters, right. But other rivers, you can literally go around a bend on that, on that Kenai river and go from an open area to a closed area or go from a slot limit fish to non, or or depending on what, or go from bait to no bait. So ignorance, like you said, is no, no excuse. And they are pretty good about patrolling that river.
0: And they'll go undercover too. and, And they'll be down there talking to you and fishing with you. And you don't even realize it. So something to pay attention to. Um, but the other thing I'm excited about David is being up there. We're going to have a chance to catch a fresh fish and cook it. Oh yes. And so that's going to be really cool. Um, the first time I went, um, fishing in Alaska, I had a fresh salmon out of the Kenai. It was a hen that was probably five pounds or something like that. And man, that was some of the best fish I've ever eaten.
1: If you've never had same day caught fresh fish cooked or, and, and you don't have to get fancy with that salmon. No. I mean, you can tin tinfoil salt and pepper and just grilled. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh man. But it is the, the difference in quality of just, I, I don't know what makes the difference of that fresh versus there is something mouthwatering about. I I'll cut up uh, uh let's take a sockeye filet. I usually cut it if it's a big fish in force, if it's a small fish in thirds, right? And we saran wrap it, and then we vacuum seal it, and then we freeze it. And I'll bring home, what well the, the plan is, and people want to know, shipping fish is very expensive. Right? Trying to ship a frozen product to your house, get it to your house, and have it still frozen, you're going to pay several dollars a pound. The best way to get fish home from Alaska is check it as baggage. Go buy an insulated cardboard box from any one of the... uh stores up there and definitely weigh it. Cause the airlines, <laughs> you don't want to pay it overweight baggage fee on a fish box, but yeah, 49 pounds. I I'm going to, my goal is to come home with at least two. And if, if we catch it, I'll bring a third 49 pound fish box home. Right. Yeah. Now we have a pretty big smoker we have access to, and I'm going to be first day or two making sure we get fish, brine, get smoker. And so I'll bring home 60, 40, 50, 50% 50 Fresh frozen and smoked. and Smoked, vacuum sealed, and then frozen. I actually like the, the smoked better just because it keeps longer, tastes better. But you are right, Patrick, that uh, we, I'll open up one of those salmon and we'll make something out of it. And it's just not the same fish we got to eat on the river. It, it, was, it could be the same other half of the filet. It could be the <laughs> same fish, but it just... It's just not the same. No, but that is something to think about is we will have uh, some... If you're going catch and release, great. But if you're going to... To bring some fish home you definitely need to have a game plan of where how why you're processing it you need access to a freezer you know and
0: and there's there's processors up there that'll take your fish and they'll process them and hold them for you if you want to go that route you can certainly do that i was always the kind of guy that i would rather do it myself um and that's just because i have a way i like to fillet them you know and and so that that's definitely a factor but the cool part about eating them and some of the things that we're going to do, I'm going to bring some high mountain seasonings. We're going to have some fresh fresh fish cooked with that. The, the high Mountain makes some amazing seasoning for trout and salmon. That's just really good on just a grill or something like that. Plus, I'll bring some of the brine. We'll test some of that out up there too on the salmon.
1: And we'll we'll show some pictures. When when I brine trout or salmon at home, I use a, a you know a, a gallon rubber made bowl right that's and i stick it in the fridge saran wrap it and brine it for 24 hours when we go to brine these fish up there we're going to be using a significantly <laughs> bigger bowl <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous we'll be using rubber bait totes full of fish that's all right but yeah, it's, it's going to be good the smoker is uh it's three by three six feet tall and has like nine or ten racks in it so the goal is to to fill the smoker every time we start it up
0: yeah, that'll be fun. So, getting to eat the fish is I know it sounds silly, but it's one of the things I look forward to the most is just having a fresh fish cuz it is really one of the best things you're going to put in your mouth.
1: It's so good. That's I mean, it, it's a it's a toss up between halibut and salmon. Fresh salmon or halibut anytime. Yeah, halibut's good <laughs> no mean, matter what? If you told me we're having halibut, I'm excited. If you told me, "Hey, I caught a fish today and it's a salmon and we're putting it on the grill or the barbecue or whatever." okay, I'm in, right? Mm. Now, I I lived there long enough that salmon chowder, salmon soup, baked salmon, fried salmon. We had lots of salmon, Patrick. <laughs> we had sam, salmon patties, salmon cakes. We had uh, Sniglets in our scrambled eggs. <laughs> that was when you opened my freezer when I lived there, there was salmon and more salmon and then some more salmon, so...
0: Yeah. The nice part about being here in Wyoming is we don't have access to that very much. I mean, we can go catch kokanee in Flaming Gorge or somewhere like that, but it's not the same. And we can stockpile a little bit of it and enjoy it throughout the winter. So that'll be good.
1: No, uh, 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 a sampling of salmon's great. When it was a salmon for lunch, breakfast, and dinner, (laughs) five days a week, David got a little... uh, A little tired of salmon there's actually a a joke about that and it's it's pretty funny the 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 boy asks his mom what we're we're having for dinner and the and the mom says we're we're having king and the boy goes oh i sure hope it's not salmon (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome well and the other
0: thing that a lot of people overlook is pike pike actually are really good to eat you have to know how to take out the y-bones i mean that They can be a little bit of a pain, but I'll tell you what, pike has a different texture to it than like say a walleye or a perch. It's not flaky. It's more of a steak consistency. It's a lot, I don't know, a lot more meaty kind of, you know? And so I'm looking forward to if we can catch a couple of pike bringing them home even, because I mean, they they are good. And maybe having some fresh, maybe I'll fry you up some fresh pike. I mean, it, it comes out pretty nice.
1: Pollock or Alaskan cod, same tomato-tomato, mm-hmm. but we might have a, a little bit of a chance at catching a few of those. And a lot of people, especially in Alaska, turn their nose up to that fish. It's actually a good fish.
0: Yeah, I caught some last time I was up there, and it was fine. I thought it's it was good. good. Fish.
1: So back to the gear a little bit. You know, definitely having change of clothes, good good wading stuff, good rain stuff. You know, tackle-wise, I like to, to use gamagatsu hooks because they gamagats me. And <laughs> if you've ever tied Don't one of those on— you and messed with one of those, you'll know what I'm talking about. But there's, there's nothing worse than, especially your flossing, and I was kind of cruel. I was, I was cheap, Patrick. I had a bunch of guests come up there, and I tied a whole bunch of leaders for them, and a couple of the places I'd take them fishing was real snaggy, real bad. And so instead of buying the Gamagatsus, I'd buy the off-brand, because the off-brand was 10 for a dollar, and the Gamagatsus are a dollar for $1. And so when they're just breaking them off left and right here, you could go. But I was using some of those and felt two fish shake their head and spit the hook, and I finally grabbed that hook and tried to stick it in my thumbnail, and it was just the point was rounded off from flossing across the rocks i quickly yeah. filed it up you know having a little stone on you somewhere and the very next cast i i pinned a fish and landed it so that's a it's important
0: yeah for sure you want to have the right gear um very sharp hooks is a must i would say gamagatsu and owner hooks are probably your two best bets in my opinion but again that's just been my experience up there but those gamagatsus that's
1: Pretty much exclusively what I used last trip. I went up there and they work. Those other hooks were sharp to start with, but they didn't have the carbon content in the steel to stay sharp was the issue. Cheaper steel. Yep. If you're going to go that route, take a stone and just make sure they stay sharp. But definitely when you go to go after the Kings, double your, your hook size, right? You're you're going to (laughs) want to, I, I have seen some pretty big hooks straightened out and that's, that's a really bad feeling. Is your lead didn't break, your knot didn't break, you didn't horse the fish, the hook just straightened out, and the fish is gone.
0: Yeah, just remember when you're going after king salmon, you've just been moved up to the big leagues, so you have to act accordingly <laughs> and, and get the right stuff.
1: I I I do love to do some sockeye fishing, and we'll go get some uh, some fish. And I actually like to catch them from the bank. I'm I've dip netted yeah. them, and and once you fish with a net, uh, it's probably. The my favorite way to fish, actually, <laughs> if you're if we're talking a meat fishing, right? Because right. with a dip net, I can go fill a cooler full and get it done and get them filleted and, and move on. But as a recreational sportsman, we're, we'll go. And what I like to do is take a trash bag and take a fillet knife to the river. We'll have a uh, small, two-foot-long, foot-wide piece of plywood with a piece of carpet on top of it, right? And, I mean, depending on what escapement is, if it's three fish a person— We're going to have a group of six people, you know, if everybody's got their limits, we're talking. That's a lot of weight. There's a lot of weight, a lot of fish, and trying to take that home or take it to a fillet station – they really do want you to fillet those fish and throw the carcass back, put that biomass back in for the other fish species and for the health of the river. So I'd much rather just pack fillets up and out of some of these spots we're going to than the whole fish. So You and me both. And some of the places on the river, they have little fish cleaning areas that you can use.
0: And those those work fairly well. That's what I used when I was up there. But you're right. It's <laughs> the thought of carrying all those fish up the up the hill doesn't sound fun to me I would much rather just carry the fillets because it it adds up pretty quick
1: uh, so we'll we'll fillet the fish put it in the scent free trash bag inside the backpack just because i i don't want to be you know day two or three I don't want to be a bear attractant with a fishy backpack right and so we'll we'll do that and then when we'll get to the house we'll wash the fillets again on a stainless steel table and then we'll go through cut them into thirds just and either brine them or then vacuum pack them and put them in the freezer and get them ready to go. So the last day we get to go fishing, but we won't be keeping any fish just because there isn't really enough time to process, freeze, and take them with us. Now, we're leaving the evening of Sunday. So Sunday morning, we'll do a little bit of fishing. Those fish get thrown back. But any fish from Saturday night, they'll go in the freezer and, And what I've had good luck with is, so our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday fish are frozen solid, right? We'll get our smoked fish out Friday, get it frozen. And then the Saturday fish won't quite be frozen, but they'll be close. And you put that in, mix it in with all the other fish we're taking. Every time I get home here to Wyoming, my boxes are still frozen. I mean, those are, they're starting to thaw, but not, they're not even above 40 degrees yet so
0: yeah and throw them in the chest freezer and you're good to go
1: i i really am a big fan of vacuum sealing great but if you don't saran wrap with the vacuum seal you still get freezer burned if you saran wrap that meat whether it's deer elk walleye bass i don't know turkey rattlesnake <laughs> if you saran wrap that protein first and then vacuum seal it you now have kind of a double insulation layer and you won't get any freezer burning
0: Yep, and it lasts a long time, which makes it nice, especially when you're putting a big investment in a trip. So it's good to have it last for you.
1: That's some of the stuff we'll be doing, getting ready to go to Alaska. I think we gave you guys some thoughts of what to think about. I know as far as look at those rivers, look at the timing, look at your equipment, ask questions. Somebody around you has gone before, and there's plenty of places and information out there now for yep. sure of what, why, where, but uh, I am a big fan of the the Palomar Knot. That, uh, we, I can remember I was probably eight years old and my, uh, grandfather and my dad took, uh, two pieces of dowel and they took a swivel and in the middle they each tied knots, right? And then they just pull with a little pounded fish scale and determine which knot failed and that palomar knot, it held its own against almost every other fishing knot out there. So yeah, if you haven't learned to tie that one yet it's a it's a good one there's there's probably some better ones but there's definitely some worse ones so if you uh or have a question about a knot, that's the knot that i will be tying on everything i use yep it
0: oh, makes sense and i just want to say a quick thank you to high mountain seasonings for being a sponsor of the show we will be using some of their fish brine and fish seasonings we'll try to get a couple of videos for you guys but they make really good product we uh the other night we had some Fresh crappie that we had caught at Keyhole Reservoir and used some of their seasonings in that. Man, it's so good. I mean, pan searing fish with their, like, like trout as an example. You can make a trout taste really good by putting some of their Western style trout seasoning on there. So go to himtnjerky.com or you can just Google high mountain seasonings, go to their website. The small little shakers are great. You can buy the brine kits, which was what we'll take up with us they're
1: just little packets of of brine but they are really good we'll, fact, we'll be buying in bulk and you can buy in bulk yeah. if you're going to be doing high quantities i've got some fish brining
0: right now that the kids caught yesterday so i'll be smoking some fish later but yeah it's it's great product h-i-m-t-n jerky.com and then of course thank you to bow spider um, you guys have been super busy with the trade shows and going to different archery challenges and whatnot but the The thing you'll want to do is go to bowspider.com, get you a bow packing system, get the whole system, and then you can buy extra receivers uh, for your system to have around your house and the headrest of your truck or wherever you want to have them.
1: We're working on the new stuff is close. Uh, We got hats, shirts, hoodies, you know, knives, the Outdoor Edge got those branded knives and those are we will be using that knife in Alaska for sure uh speaking of smokers crystal my wife cooked uh, dinner last night and she took a big chunk of elk roast mm-hmm. covered in high mountain seasonings and we stepped up and i've been a gas grill guy for a long long time and we bought a pellet smoker it's a green mountain grill and you you can't go wrong with Dude, one of those it's I mean, so good she set the temperature she stuck it in there it literally took the meat sprinkled high mountain seasoning on top of it put it in the uh, smoker grill for 45-50 minutes on whatever temperature and pulled it out and it was uh, it's delicious I, I don't yeah. it's, it's got bark on the outside it's still moist and tender and juicy inside and venison is very hard to keep yes moist and tender and so that new smoker is a uh, uh, it's definitely worth the upgrade so yep. and I've got a
0: camp chef pellet smoker that I'm going to be cooking burgers on tonight I've already put my high mountain seasoning in the meat just to get it ready to go and yeah you're right there's just something about those pellet smokers
1: it's just so dang good I, I mean we've been putting brussels sprouts and asparagus and broccoli on it and pizza and and if i can find it it needs cooked i'm putting it on there we've been going <laughs> through the pellets but i do like the i like the smoky flavor on stuff even we we yeah. got the pizza and we've been putting pizza in there so
0: oh yeah smoked pizza is amazing so yeah, we will uh, be coming back to you with more episodes soon. Uh, the Alaska trip, we will be going late July. So we'll do some podcasting from that trip as well. And so I'm looking forward to it. If
1: if you want to follow along and see what we're doing on that trip, we will be putting stuff on social media. So, you know, definitely hop off the podcast. Don't, don't forget about the podcast. Just hop off there and hop over to our social media pages. Uh, We have a private page you can ask for an invite to, but we'll be sharing more tips, trips, recipes, kind of all the cool stuff there. And we also have been sharing our giveaways there. So if you want to get you some of the swag that we talk about all the time, we routinely do a giveaway on our social medias, and that's Radcast Outdoors.
0: Yeah, so we're going to RadcastOutdoors.com. That giveaway will happen after the 22nd of June, so that's coming up here pretty quick. So if you haven't gotten entered, all you have to do is go to radcastoutdoors.com, put in your email and your name, and you're in. So go do that as soon as you can, and uh, I hope you win.
1: And if you miss that one, don't worry. If you're there'll listening to this more. after, there, there'll be more. So keep your eyes and ears open.
0: All right, guys. Well, until next time, again, go to radcastoutdoors.com and check us out and listen and like and share and subscribe.